we're on page four. Song of Songs, chapter five, verses nine to 16. The friends say, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved but is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000? His head is purest gold, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. And 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Well, what makes someone a good partner for life? What makes a marriage a good one and a safe one? Song of Songs is not just a book of romantic poetry, it's part of the wisdom literature of the Bible, and it has something to say about these questions. It's set in a very different time and place to ours, where marriages were mostly arranged and romantic love blossomed in that context. That's a little bit different for us, isn't it? We have a dating culture, uh, and we get to choose our partner. So we also have questions like, what makes for a good boyfriend or girlfriend? Or what makes me attractive? What will make me an attractive partner for someone else? And the culture we live in has lots to say about this, doesn't it? Some of it's helpful and some of it really isn't. And I think Song of Songs has wisdom even about these modern-day questions as well. And some of us are married already, some of us are single. About a quarter, I did the stats this week, about a quarter of the adults in our church are single. And some single people hope to be married, some have already been married in the past, and others are not even thinking about marriage or hoping for it. So there's a lot of range. But I want to say that nevertheless, there is something for everyone in this passage today. Even for the young ones, even if you're a parent of a Sunday Funday kid and you're thinking, what if my kids going to hear today? I've thought about them, just to reassure you. And our youth here, already you'll be in conversations at school, at home, online, about what makes someone attractive. And if it's not already happening, soon enough you and your friends will be crushing on people and talking about that. And the thing is, God has stuff to say about this in the Bible. And we need to listen to it, good to listen to it when you're young, actually, so that you can weigh up all the other things you're hearing against what God wants for us. So in this Song of Songs passage today, there are three things that I want us to notice. A really good question, a pretty good answer, 
and a beautiful picture that reminds us of something even better than a good relationship, and that is our relationship with God. So one great question. Let's take a look. So the young woman in this story, we heard about this last week, she's had this kind of nightmare about her, her lover being lost. And at this point, when she can't find him, she says to her friends, will you go and search for him? And they say to her in verse 9, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us, that you ask us to do this? In other words, they're saying, what is so good about this guy? So good that you're pining like this, that you want us to go out looking for him. Their beautiful friend is totally gaga about this guy, right? And they're trying to understand it. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever been so smitten that all you can think or talk about to everyone is the person that you're crushing on? Or have you seen a friend or family member like this, kind of transformed by being in love, that it takes over everything? A bit like Taylor Swift in her song, Lover, where she says, ladies and gentlemen, will you please stand? With every guitar string scar on my hand, I take this magnetic force of a man to be my lover. My heart's been borrowed and yours has been blue. All's well that ends well to end up with you. I swear to be overdramatic and true to my lover. When someone is head over heels in love like this, when the magnetic force is strong and the rose-coloured glasses are on, it's good to have good friends who will ask good questions. Why do you like this person so much? What is so good about them? Whenever um, Rob or I are asked to prepare people for marriage, the first thing we say to them is, you should go and ask your family and your trusted friends what they think about your choice of partner. In the time and place that we live in with dating culture, as we've talked about, where we mostly get to choose for ourselves, the reflections of family and friends who are observing our relationship are really valuable because we're all prone to be a bit blinkered by infatuation. And to be that kind of friend takes a lot of courage. But I want to say we need to be brave and look out for each other by opening up conversations with that gentle why this person? What do you like about them? And then we need to listen. We need to listen to their answer and we need to listen to see if they're going to list qualities that are not just about appearance or wealth or charm. We want to hear more things like we read in that uh, 1 Corinthians passage about character, patience, gentleness, kindness. If you don't hear that, then you might want to point that out. What about this? What about their character? Now, you might think, we could say that a person's love life is no one else's business but their own. But in the church, I don't think we can agree with this. Because we know from the news and from statistics and from experience that there are too many cases of harm and breakdown in intimate relationships in our culture today and even in the church. So it is loving to one another to not be passive about this. Let me put it this way. Your dating life 
your married life is not a private thing. Marriage is personal and exclusive, yes, but it's certainly not off limits to questions and concern from family members and from your church family too. That is why when we marry, we do it publicly. You make vows before God and in front of witnesses in the church because support of your friends and family are really important. So if you are thinking about getting serious with someone, getting engaged or married, I want to encourage you to, to um, get feedback from your friends, from people who know you well, and dare I say, even from your minister. And I also want to say that if things are not good in your relationship, especially if you're suffering harm, then Peter or I are always ready to listen and support you. We're here to help people find safety if they need it. And I encourage you to speak to one of us if that's the case for you, not what we want. Okay, so a great question at the beginning of that passage. But what about her answer? Okay, I think it's actually a pretty good answer. It's a bit strange at first. <laughs> it's not really how this 21st century city folk might talk about someone they like. Her answer is in the form of an Arabic love poem called a wasif, it's a kind of genre, where the person does describe their lover in terms of like bit by bit, part by part, in terms of the natural world, like your teeth are like white sheep, hair like a raven. The woman thinks that her man is so beautiful, she actually talks about him here about being made of precious metals, gold, marble, and so on, and we might find that a bit strange as well. But let me tell you what I think is helpful about her answer. After listing all the physical features, what she ends up saying in verse 16 is, he is altogether lovely. If you go back to chapter 1, where the man also has a poem for the woman, he says exactly the same thing at the end of his description. He says, you are altogether beautiful, my love. We live in a time where there's a kind of obsession about physical beauty and perfection. I looked up the stats and in 2020, more than 500,000 separate cosmetic surgery procedures were performed in Australia. And we, just per capita, United States, as the building weight loss programs, the beauty industry are also big, big business, right? And there's no judgment from me if you've used any of these things. That would be hypocritical, frankly. But I just want to say to us, let's not be fooled by social media, by magazines, by celebrity culture and advertising, let's not wind up believing that if only I changed a part of my body, my mouth, my legs, my muscles, if only I were bigger or smaller, then I would be more desirable or lovable. This is a lie. And it's terrible too if we start to think about other people in that way as well. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And it comes in many shapes and sizes. And physical beauty fades with age. What's really important is that God made us and loves us in all our physical diversity. And his priority is about what's going on in our hearts. Love is actually about all those things, patience, kindness, protecting, trusting, hoping, and perseverance that we read about in 1 Corinthians. 
But in the poem, the woman's describing the man's appearance, isn't she? And I think the reason that she loves all the aspects of the man's appearance is not because she's specifically into very white teeth or a particular hairdo, but because she has come to know him and love him intimately. So she has come to love the whole person, inside and out, as he has her. And now they only have eyes for each other. Well, the other thing I think about that's good about her answer is that she loves this man not because he's a tough guy or a boss, right? She loves him because he's sweet. I mean, he is strong, we get that, I think, in some of the imagery, but there's also a beauty and vulnerability about him that she loves. He's a strong, sweet man. And we have to notice then that her reason for loving him is not so different from the reasons that he loves her. If we went back to chapter one and compared the descriptions, we'd see a lot of similarities. They both describe a kind of strength he says, your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. And she says, his arms are rods of gold, set with topaz, his legs are pillars of marble. But they also both love aspects of softness or sweetness about the other. His mouth is sweetness itself, she says. And then there's all that stuff about how lovely his cheeks smell. He also says her lips are like a scarlet thread. Her mouth is lovely and she also smells fantastic. What's really um, noticeable is that they both have the same image for the eyes. They both describe each other's eyes as doves, symbols of peace. We're meant to understand that these two are a great match. There's harmony, a tenderness, a mutuality between them that's very desirable. Sometimes I think there are parts of our culture that say men must be strong and women must be soft. But the Bible doesn't paint that picture at all. It's attractive for men and women to both have strength and softness and that makes for healthy relationships. And I think, you know, the church can say all kinds of things about marriage but I think now is the time to say this about it, that mutuality and tenderness are desirable qualities in our most intimate relationships. And to any of our men who might be naturally physically stronger or financially more powerful in your relationships, I want to remind you that the New Testament calls you to be like Christ, laying down your power to serve your wife and your family and to resist using it to control or intimidate. I really encourage all of us, actually, to see how attractive that is in a man and to affirm it when we see it. The third good part of the woman's answer is right at the end. In verse 16, again, she says to her friend, this is my beloved, this is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Now, sometimes we talk about the friend zone, right? That the friend zone is not compatible with romantic or sexual love. But the wisdom of the Bible is this, that friendship is a wonderful dynamic to sustain marriage. Infatuation and crushing is a very powerful thing, but it's not what's going to make for a lifetime of love. For that, what you need is a friend who's going to stick with you in the hard times and show up for all the boring parts 
that happen in a shared life. The 1993 version of this poem is definitely Salt and Pepper's What a Man. It's got some pretty intense lines about physical attraction, but as well, it's got fantastic lyrics about the friendship dynamic, and I'm going to read you some. In it, they sing, I finally found someone who can make me laugh. And then there's this passage. He's smart like a doctor with a really good rep. And when he comes home, he's relaxed with pep. He always has heavy conversation for the mind, which means a lot to me, because a good man's hard to find. Spends quality time with his kids when he can. Secure in his manhood, because he's a real man. Every time I need him, he's always got my back. Never disrespectful, because his mama taught him that. I got a man. What a mighty, mighty good man. A strong, soft, sweet man, I would say. All right, a good question. A pretty good answer. But also what we've got here is a beautiful picture of something that's even more breathtaking than the relationship in Song of Songs. Each time we look at that book and think about intimacy and love, we've got to remember that human marriage is meant to point to the relationship that Jesus has with us, the church. Whenever we read about what love looks like anywhere in the Bible, the, the love of Song of Songs or the love described in 1 Corinthians, we are to be reminded of how great God's love is for us and how beautiful. And sometimes that reminder will be an inspiration to us. It will give us hope. It will encourage us to love in a way that puts the interests of others first, to persevere in tough times, to rejoice in good times, to become more Christ-like. And sometimes that reminder will be a deep consolation for when we feel let down by our spouse or our friends or family. In times of disappointment and loneliness, we can lean into the steadfast, tender love of God. And sometimes the reminder will help us to keep perspective on things. Because the greatest love that any of us will ever know has been expressed by the strong, powerful God who made us and who in Jesus became vulnerable in this earthly life and died for our sake. And so together, let's look and long for his return and let's boast about his love and devotion to us and to us as his church. The best is yet to come. <laughs>